Why don't we grab our Bibles and we'll look at James chapter 5 today. One of the methods of the enemy is to try to convince us that what we are going through, no one else is going through. And we can isolate ourselves and thinking, if there was just someone else that could relate to my situation, then things would be better, but no one else could. But the scripture tells us that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That's 1 Corinthians 10.13, that the temptations that we face, we all face. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, as we turn to James chapter 5 today, we've been working through this book. And if you were with us last week, you remember that James, the pastor of this church in Jerusalem, was scolding a group of people there that were wealthy. It's not that he was scolding them because they were wealthy. It was because how they had accumulated their wealth, it was through dishonest ways. And with the resources that God had entrusted to them, they were hoarding them and using them for selfish purposes. It's very possible that the people within the church that James was addressing were not even Christians. Well, then James is going to turn his sights in the passage this morning to talk to the people who have been mistreated, to those who have been mistreated by the wealthy people. And he's going to give them some instructions on how they are to work through the suffering that they are experiencing. And as he does so, he's going to hold up three different examples. As if to say, follow these examples as you are in the midst of your suffering. Because these have gone on before you. And if you follow them, they will help you navigate through these difficult times. So let's just follow along with me in James chapter 5. Beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray for God's understanding as we've read his words. Lord, it is likely that within our room today that each of us could relate to some degree of, of some suffering, some inconveniences or, or all-out challenges that are in our life that give us difficulty just coping throughout our day. And yet there were people that are in the same situation here in James' time, and you are writing words to them. And help there to be a, a help to these words, how they would translate to our lives today. Help us to see ourselves here, 
and then grab a hold of the hope that is offered through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at the first words of our verse today, in verse 7 it says, Be patient. The Greek word patient here combines two different root words. The first word is long. The second word is temper. So when we think of the word patience, it is one who has this long fuse. It's as if there's all sorts of things piling up in one person's life or challenges that are there. And instead of just blowing up and falling apart, by God's help, they are able to be sustained in their life. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers. Whereas last week, James is going after a group of people in the church that very likely were not actually Christians. This time, he is addressing people who are followers of Christ. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then he's going to introduce the first of three different examples for us this morning. The first example, as we see here, is that of the farmer. It says here, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. So the first example, for those in the midst of some suffering, some adversity, Pastor James says, it would be helpful for you on your drive in today or sometime this afternoon to drive out and look at the farms and the fields and examine them and understand that what these farmers do, both men and women, is they go out into their fields and they work those fields as faithfully as they can. They till up the ground. They plant good seed. They provide additives that will help get away the weeds or they'll weed their fields. And then what they will do is they will wait. They will anticipate that our good God will bring rains. You see at the early, these are the October and November rains. And the late rains, these are the March and April rains in this climate. And so what James is saying to us is that as the farmer works the fields, he does absolutely everything that he can. But then he eventually has to wait on the Lord. He has to wait for God to do his work. This planting and this harvesting takes a while. It's not something that happens overnight. And so to the suffering people within that church there in Jerusalem, and perhaps to the suffering people of that church there in Green Bay, God says to them, be like the farmer and do absolutely everything that you can that God would lead you to do, to have those conversations, to pray, to apply the scriptures in your life, to do everything that you know is the will of God in your life. But then ultimately you're going to have to wait on the Lord to work. Wait for Him to do His work. And this is what James is saying. Look at the farmers. Look at what it says here in verse 8. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is a wonderful word, establish. It means to fix. It means to set your lives. This isn't the first time we've heard this sort of concept in the book of James. 
We've heard the opposite in James chapter 1. Look with me again at what it says there. It says in chapter 1, just verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James is saying, don't be like the person whose faith comes up and down like a wave in the sea. Don't be like a double-minded man that at one time believes that God's going to work this for good and other times doubts that God's going to work this for good. In the midst of this, like the farmer, just know that God is going to work good from this. Set your heart until the day of the Lord. That's what it says there in verse 8. There is an acknowledgement that as things stand in our lives right now, not everything makes sense. The story has not been completely written. The movie is only midway through. And at this point right now, we only have a partial portion of the story. One of the things that I like to do, there's a, there's a group of men that, that work at a place in our church that restore vehicles. And on occasion, I get to visit them. And, and when I walk in, I'll see these vehicles at all sorts of different stages in their restoration. There are some that are nearly finished, or at least it looks like that to me on the exterior And it's just a matter of doing a few different things. And then there are some that it looks like all there is, is, all that there is is a frame. It's like, my goodness, this has a long way to go. And, and I look at that and I say, how is this ever going to materialize into anything that is useful for a customer? But these guys look at this and say, I see exactly what that's going to turn into. And I can envision the wheels, I can envision the engine, I can envision the interior, I can envision the, the paint and buffing it out. And I can envision a day, many days from now, when the keys will be handed over to another satisfied customer. And we might see ourselves today and we're like, I'm in one of these stages and I can't see the big picture yet. Do you remember that artist named Bob Ross? He had that big afro. And I think he would be on PBS. And I watched him just a few times. But when I'd watch him, he'd take his brush and he would paint this backdrop. And I think, what in the world is he doing? And suddenly he'd offer another color and another brush and he'd bring these crevices in. He is making some mountains. Now that, that looks good. That's good. And next thing you know, he would reach back in and he'd grab another brush and he'd take some green and he'd put these big blobs of green right in the middle of this canvas. And I'm thinking, what in the world are you doing? How does this guy even have a TV show? He has just ruined this thing. And in that gentle voice, he would just work those blobs out. And I couldn't see it. I had no idea what he was doing. And then he'd reach into another brush, another color brown, and he'd start putting these trees and the trunks, and the branches. And I'd say, ah, now I get, I'm understanding what Bob's up to. And as he would do this, I found myself on repeated occasions saying, now that looks good, don't mess with it, don't mess with it. And then another blob would go down, right? 
And at the end of it, I'd be like, man, I just wish I would have kept my mouth shut. Because he knew exactly what he was doing. And I think this is what James is saying to us, to the people in Jerusalem, is there are blobs in your life right now, and you have no idea what's going on. And you're saying, don't you know, artist, what's going on in my life? This doesn't make any sense at all to me. But if Bob Ross and that large hair knew what he was doing, would not our good God know what he is doing when he introduces some of these inconveniences in our life? Let him work it out. Trust him. Don't jump to a quick conclusion. And then it says here in verse 9, still under the category of that of the farmer, it says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I'm going to bring you back to Bear Valley where my grandfather farmed in the southern west part of the state. And I can think of the days when right across the farm field in the pasture from where the Olson farm, where our family farm was, was the Cass family. And it was said on a regular occasion that Jim Cass from the area farm, you could see him after milking cows in the evening with a Chevy truck going down his gravel driveway and billows of dust following it, getting on Highway 30 and coming over to the Olson farm where he would say, I need your help, Grandpa or, or Carl. I need some more advice about how to farm. It's going to be a hot day tomorrow. We're going to mow the, 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 the hay. It, could I mow it and rake it and bale it all in the same day because it's supposed to rain? What would you say? I've got, a, I've got a tractor here where the hydraulics are not working. Have you ever addressed that? What recommendation or what advice would you have for me? I have a cow that's not producing quite well. What would you do? And he would continually come over. And so the farmers would cooperate with one another. There in the valley, there were all these farms sprinkled in. And they all received the same climate. They all went through a drought at the same time. Or like this year, all heavy rains at the same time. They wouldn't turn on each other and grumble. Rather, they would say, we are all in this together. And this is what James is saying. Trouble comes. The church family there in Jerusalem is experiencing it. He says, don't judge one another. Don't come to them saying, I know why that person is experiencing adversity. Rather, come alongside and encourage one another. Just acknowledge that all of us have some adversity that we're going through. Why don't we get to know one another and pray for one another through these things? This is what James is saying. Look there. Look at the farmers. Look at their example of how they are persevering through this. Don't judge because God is the judge. He's standing at their door. So that's the first example, that of a farmer. The second example is that of the Old Testament prophets. Let's look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Okay, I'm giving you one example, that is of the farmers. Now let me give you a second example of that of the Old Testament prophets. Those whom God used to speak God's word. And I don't know what you think of when you think of the Old Testament prophets. You might think of men that were stoic, that did not flinch under adversity. 
These were men that were in the will of God, obeying what God wanted them to do. Maybe you see them as robots that never experienced any sort of suffering or had no doubts at all during their walk with the Lord. But just a review of these prophets will find out that they are a lot closer to you and I than you might think. Moses, he spoke God's word. He dealt with the stiff-necked and rebellious people of the Israelites. They actually tried to get him fired. How about David? He spoke God's word, the book of Psalms. He was hunted by Saul like a Wisconsin hunter would go after a trophy ten-point buck. He went after. They stalked him. What about Elijah? Elijah was confronted by a wicked king and his wife and he, he went into a period of discouragement where we could see him in 1 Kings, I think it's chapter 19, where he just wanted to lay down and die. What about Jeremiah? Don't raise your hands necessarily, but how many of you kind of struggle with getting your emotions under control sometimes? Well, Jeremiah was one who was following God, speaking the words that God wanted him to speak, and that often resulted in him weeping where his emotions would come over him. How about Ezekiel? In his faithfulness to God, his wife died. Hosea endured a heartbroken marriage. And even into the New Testament, we can think of John the Baptist, the front runner of Jesus, who declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We might have thought his witness was so bold. Then we get into Luke chapter 7, and we read in verse 20 where he sends some of his followers to Jesus and say, Hey, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Even John the Baptist had some doubts. James is saying, look to these Old Testament prophets as your example. It is not my intention to bring these people down, but it's more or less just to say these people were human. They faced the same trials and the same temptations from discouragement that you and I face. James is saying, follow their example. Be human, yes, but don't give up. With God's help, persevere through your challenge. And then the third and final example for us, we see here in verse 11. It says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Now let me just hit on this before we get to our third example. The word behold means, check this out, observe this, see this. This isn't what you would expect to see. This word behold is often used in the Christmas story when there's some announcements being made to Mary or Joseph by angels. Behold. Behold what? It says here, Behold, we consider those who are blessed who remain steadfast. This is what's so surprising. Those who we consider blessed. Same word as the Beatitudes. Those who we consider to be happy and joyful and content. Those are the ones who remains steadfast. Now we're going to change the word from patience to steadfast. Patience meant long temper. Steadfast means to remain under. Think of a, an Olympic 
weightlifter. One who is under all sorts of plates on their right and plates on their left with a big bar that is over their back. And as they kneel down to grab that weight and they begin to bring it up, they're trembling. The bar is bent over. Their quads are flexing. Even their biceps are strained. And they are grunting as if to say, let me try to get this weight up. This is a picture of steadfastness. And here is the marvelous truth that James is conveying to us this morning, is if you want this joyful, content, happy life, it comes by being under the weight of challenges in life. So he says, behold. Now is that remarkable or not? If you want to experience contentment and joy, experience weight over your shoulders. This is what he is saying. And then he goes to our third example. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The third example is that of Job. Are you familiar with his story? Job has 42 chapters in the Old Testament. And in chapters 1 through 3, he loses virtually everything. He loses his business. He loses his health. And he loses all of his family with the exception of his wife. And then in chapters 4 through 31, Job enters into some conversations with these people that attempt to be his friends. And they're telling him, the reason you're going through the suffering is because you have brought sin on yourself. And God is judging you for this. And then in verses 38 through 42, Job is delivered by God. God humbles Job and then blesses him with twice as much as what he had before. So walk through this for a moment with me in Job. How did Job, how was he steadfast? In Job chapter 2 verse 9, his wife comes to him. And it is ironic, is it not, that Job's whole family was taken, but the devil had to say, you can keep his wife there. I don't know what that says about her, but nonetheless, you, you can keep her. Add some more suffering into his life. That would be okay. Job's wife says to him, curse God and die. And in chapter 3, verse 1, this is, the, this is our example here. Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. In chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, Job said, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. And so Job enters into this argument with God. I, I don't deserve this. And by the end, we get to chapter 42, verse 5, where Job says, I have heard of you, God, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I have heard about you. I, I've been in... Bible studies, I've been at church, so to speak, but now I actually see who you really are. You have revealed yourself to me through the challenges that have come in my life. That must have been a really profound statement for the lights just to come on at that moment. And isn't that true? 
I mean, do, does not suffering and adversity bring us close to another person? I could think of uh, early in our marriage where where we had a where Melody had a miscarriage, and and we were we were early on in our, our marriage, and we hadn't really faced much adversity. But it is through that 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 actually brought us together closer. Isn't that true? And the same can be true of our relationship with God. That when we go through that, the cliches, the things that we just kind of offer casually, those really get exposed and we really find out, do I really believe who God is? Do I really, can I really trust Him? And this is what Job is saying. At one time, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Now I actually know more of you. And so when we go through the challenge, we're reminded of the farmer's example. We're reminded of the Old Testament prophet's example. And we're reminded of Job's example. Not to waste these experiences. Knowing that our life is not yet complete. We're looking at this portrait and there's blobs there. It's not completely restored yet. And James is saying, be patient. Remain under that weight. There's one other example that I'll leave you with. And this person runs through the pages of Scripture. As we consider an example, one that can identify with our temptations, it is none other than Jesus himself. For we have one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, one who was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin, according to Hebrews 4, verse 12. You may think that you are alone. You may think that you're experiencing some temptations that no one else has ever experienced. But the Scriptures tells us that no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. And secondly, that Jesus is acquainted with all the temptations that we've experienced. So brothers and sisters that are Christians here this morning, may I just encourage you, look to the farmer. Are you doing everything that the Lord has asked you to do? And if so, actively wait for him to work. Look to the Old Testament prophets that were doing God's work and persevere. And look to Job as your Example of steadfastness, knowing that this is where the blessings come. And if you are yet to be a follower of Jesus, if you read the stories of Jesus, you find out that there were people that would come to him all the time because of a crisis that was going on in their life. It could be something that was going on physically. It could be something that was going on naturally in their life. Or it could be something that was going on in their family like a father, a centurion, a synagogue leader, bringing their children to the Jesus to have them address them and help them. It could be a, a mom that says, oh, would you help me with my daughter? Here's the good news for us, that Jesus still receives these crises. It's his desire for you to still bring them to him and receive the healing His words in Matthew 11 say, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Bring your burden to Jesus. 
He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So it's not a, not a matter of just, Jesus, will you fix my crisis? But Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. Like a yoke, there would be two different yokes for an animal. An oxen would be on this side, an oxen would be on this side, and they would go about together. Jesus is saying, I'll be in one and you be in the other, and let's walk in step in a new way of life. You need to turn from your sins. You need to follow Jesus by faith. Have you done that? He ultimately says in verse 29 of Matthew 11, and you will find rest for your souls. Often we're looking for rest for our physical bodies, and that's appropriate. But what we were created to do was find an eternal rest in Jesus. And this crisis, this adversity that you find yourself in this morning might be exactly what Jesus is using to get your attention, to turn from your ways, to become a follower of Jesus. Would you do that? Would you come to a place of saying, I acknowledge the suffering in my life. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to turn, turn from my sins. Lord, help us to to heed these words today. Help us to look to the example. The example that is provided for us in the farmers out in the fields. The example of the Old Testament prophets that were walking in step, doing the will of God, yet they experienced suffering. And that of Job. We find here this morning that these were men, these were women that were not stoic, they were not robots, they were flesh and blood. And like us, they had moments where they wondered. Like us, they had moments where they wondered, what in the world are you doing? But ultimately, their faith was intact. Your grace reached down and held them. And may it do that to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I just, I just have been thinking about this message, and it just seems appropriate for us. Instead of just leaving here this morning, it's just to acknowledge that there's people that are hurting here, and I don't even necessarily have people in mind, but I just know the church family, there's always challenges going on. Wouldn't it be just like a family to get together and pray for one another before we leave today? So let's do this. Um, let's, let's just go to a person that's seated right next to you. If you're a guest, I understand this might be weird for you, but we are people that really think that we need God's help in our life. So would you go to another two or three people around you, and maybe you could just introduce yourself if you don't know one another, and if you would just be so transparent to say, this is a burden that I have. This is an area of adversity I have in my life. And would you pray for me that I would apply this message today of God's grace in my life? We're just going to take a few moments to do this. So I'm going to turn you loose, find a couple of people right around you, and then I'll close us in prayer. Father, help us as a church to to reach out, to to know one another's burdens, to be able to carry them as, as best we can. Help us to be honest with others when people ask, How are we doing to be able to share? 
and just receive the friendship. And what Shane talked about today, that being encouraged to grow in our faith as we allow others to add input and influence into our life. In Jesus' name, amen.